0: A Shot of Life is sponsored by the Toronto School of Management's NCA Prep Program. Get in touch with Anton on Facebook or email ncaprep at torontosom.ca. Find out how you can start prepping for your NCA exams on your own time, on demand, through pre-recorded modules taught by Canadian-trained expert lawyers. Get study guides and notes that cover the entire NCA syllabus. Mention the discount code, A Shot of Life, to get 10% off your purchases. You don't have to study alone. Get in touch with Anton and get started on your journey to becoming a lawyer in Canada today.
1: Welcome to A Shot of Life podcast aimed at highlighting the personal journeys of professionals and entrepreneurs in Canada, taking a snapshot of the person behind their professional title. I'm your host, Anton Haswell, and this is episode 36 of our NCA series. Our 36th guest is Alicia Gale Windsor. Alicia is an associate lawyer with Hummingbird Lawyer's Civil Litigation Practice. A native of Ocala, Florida, known as the horse capital of the world, Alicia has been an avid equestrian since the age of eight. She has owned, ridden, and shown hunter-jumper horses for much of her life. Currently, she rides hunters in the Milton area and has a soft spot for the -the off-the-track thoroughbreds. Alicia relocated to Canada and is called to the bar in Ontario. She now focuses her practice exclusively on civil litigation, appeals, and equipment law. Hi, Alicia.
0: (laughs) Hi, Anton. How are you?
1: Very good. Very good. Thanks so much for agreeing to be on the podcast today.
0: I'm nervous and excited.
1: (laughs) Ah, well, me too. How's that? Um, I don't believe you, but all right. (laughs) It's always, it's kind of like uh, the beginning of these things are always, um, a bit nerve wracking, because I don't know which way it goes. But what I always find is that um, it is at least very interesting. Um, and, and to start, Alicia, I'd love to learn a little bit about you as a person um, and you know where you're from and, and sort of what inspired you to want to practice law, where you studied, all those things that sort of got you to where you are today, um, the, little, the little seeds that got you there. So if you could just give us a little bit of history of you. That'd be great.
0: So I'm, I grew up in Florida um, in the U.S. Uh, I went to college in Florida, um, a college called new college in Sarasota. It's a really very small liberal arts um, honors college for the state. There's like, I don't know, probably 800 students
2: mm.
0: where uh, I went wow. to college. Yeah. It was really little. It was honestly one of the best experiences of my life. Mm. Um, you know, you, really know your professors there's like 10 people in your classes it's pretty fantastic wow um and i ended up going to law school in los angeles which Mm. was a culture shock um i had traveled a lot internationally like primarily to europe before but i lived in los angeles for law school and in addition to like law school sort of being overwhelming Mm -hmm. living in a city of that many millions of people after, mm-hmm. you know, coming from, I grew up like essentially on a horse farm in like a small town in Florida and then went to like this tiny school. Mm-hmm. And then I went from that directly to Los Angeles. That was, that was an interesting experience.
1: Mm-hmm. Was it like, um? did, did you find yourself sort of craving that that kind of intense experience after you know growing up as you said on a on a, essentially a horse farm and then attending a small liberal arts college was it time for Alicia to spread her wings or was it just <laughs> he really wanted law school and this was the best university for you
0: um you know I just it's kind of hard to say like I have to say honestly I was desperate to get out of Florida mm. Um. What I should have done, the smart thing to do would have been to go to the university, which is one of the best in my state uh, that is 25 minutes from my house where I <laughs> right. grew up, um, called the University of Florida. I could have gone there for free. Wow. Um, I should have gone there, but I just couldn't manage Florida anymore. Right. I just. Yeah. <laughs> so I escaped.
1: Right. And. um So when you went to university or to law school in California, um, how was that like, cause I speak to people who, um, you know, we always talk about what's life like as a lawyer, but I think what's, what's also interesting is that everybody shares a very similar experience in that they all went to law school as well. And law schools differ too. Um, I went to law school in London in the UK. um, Mm -hmm. And that's a huge, like, even like I grew up in Toronto and Um, it's a big city it's cosmopolitan and you go to London thinking it'll be kind of like that but it's just (laughs) it's way different it's it's so much bigger and and it it was a culture shock for me it sounds like it, it was for you outside of the academics like just navigating and getting your head around where you where where your place is in this new place in this new city in this new state for you um So how did you balance that with the academics and the rigors of a law degree? Did you find that it was difficult or did you just kind of get stuck in? How'd you do that?
0: Well, first of all, I want to say that I can completely relate to what you're saying Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. London Mm -hmm. because I actually lived in London for almost two years. Right. So, that even after living in Los Angeles, I went to London and I was like, all right.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like this everything's is overwhelming. <laughs> it is. It's so condensed, like it's a it's it's really kind of I don't know. I loved my experience there. It's like a magical town um because <laughs> everything all the buildings are kind of retrofitted to fit modern conveniences, but they're all sort of there. You're not moving them. And everybody's so slammed in together and condensed that right. uh, um it 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 is a culture. and so everything like the crowds are just a little bit more crowdier. Um they are but,
0: and touchier. Yeah. Like <laughs> in the true. States, people don't like there's no like there's no touching, there's no rubbing up again. Like you're gonna get punched in the face if you're mm. like rub, unless you're in New York, but even then you're probably gonna get punched in the face.
2: <laughs> right. You know,
0: but in, in England, it's just like people are all on top of each other. And I'm like, it was yeah. very intense for me. I did not fit in well. I also had the American accent, mm-hmm. which you know, and I lived in, I lived in England, I lived in London during the Bush years,
1: right. and it was a rough,
0: rough time to be an American there.
1: Right. Yeah. I remember, I like, I mean, Canadian accents and, and American accents are quite similar to the Brits, which I totally understand. <laughs> um, and I was kind of, it is like, it's one of those very noticeable differences that you have versus other people. And I kind of noticed myself kind of muffling my voice and not really, but, and then I kind of got used and then sort of became a little bit, you know, more, uh, I guess, proud of the fact that I was different, but to start it was, it was tricky. And, and again, like bringing it back to when you were in university uh, in law school in California, how was that? Like, did you, did you find that friendships and clubs helped or was it the academic side that helped get you uh, your footing?
0: Well, I've, I've always been, so I'm a bit of a nerd and I know everyone thinks that they're a nerd, but I'm, I'm really <laughs> a nerd. Right. Um, and so I'm, I'm pretty social and I don't have a problem meeting new people. So I was pretty good in law school. Like I met new people at like orientation and things like that. And I had a study group pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, So I didn't have a problem necessarily like acclimating, but I never felt comfortable. I never felt comfortable in law school, not my entire time. And I think that that is primarily because like, I'm not actually a competitive person. Mm. Um, And law school, at least the law school that I went to. And I have to preface all of this with being like, I am not a new law grad.
2: Like mm. I
0: graduated, I was in law school between 2003 and 2006. And right. I know for a fact that the law schools have changed sub- substantially just in the last 10 years. And I've yeah. been out more than 10 years. So, you know, people who have gone to law school recently ha- or, or especially not in the States have to understand that like, my experience in law school was very cutthroat. Mm-hmm. Like we, the law schools in the States notoriously throw out like, I think it's like 20%, like the bottom 20% of the class after the first year gets literally kicked out of law school.
2: Wow.
0: Like they throw you out.
2: Jeez.
0: Um, And I do know somebody. Um, who that was going to happen to. And she withdrew before it happened and then went to another law school a year later and did fantastic and works mm. for the federal government in America. But anyway, so so I kind of had, uh, I had a very stressful experience because you knew that 20% of the people that you started the class with in your section um, were going to be thrown out. Mm. And so that's like a really uncomfortable experience for me because I am just like, everyone should be great. Like, Right. I'm kind of a hippie. <laughs> <laughs> and so the competition part was not good for me. And I never felt comfortable. I luckily did do well because I am a nerd and I like the academics. And so I just found some professors that taught things I liked and were nice people mm-hmm. and sort of helped me. Um and and that's really how I got through. And I, right. I did have some friends. I did, I did have definitely have some friends, some really lovely people. Um, but it was very, it was very cutthroat. I mean, we're talking like tearing pages out of books, because yes, yeah, I went I've to law that. school when we still use books. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, that kind of thing. It was just, it was a little bit of an uncomfortable experience for me.
1: Yeah, well, geez, it, it sounds like it would be for most people. Um, uh, you know, there are, there's a certain breed of stereotypical lawyer who you kind of picture really thriving in that kind of cutthroat environment. Right. But but really, ultimately, and especially nowadays, you come to realize that nobody truly loves that. They just kind of find themselves needing to do that in order to stand out. But thankfully, exactly. thankfully, that's not necessarily the culture we exist in today. Um, well, I, I suppose in some law schools with some sections it does happen right but, but not necessarily on the whole it's it's much better now which is great for everybody's mental health um so you've you graduate in 2006 and um you embark i assume on a law career that's taken you um all the way here to canada um <laughs> and i i suppose in it, you know however you'd like to if you could kind of describe that journey and and why canada um, became a destination for you
0: okay so after I graduated law school in 2006 I moved to England and I lived in London mm-hmm. and when I was there I worked for the law society of England and Wales as a um, caseworker invested investigating complaints about solicitors mm,
2: interesting. Um,
0: yeah that was really that was really interesting and that's where honestly the other lawyers are the ones who gave me the worst time about being American. They were like, what are you doing investigating my complaint? Uh, You know, you're not even a solicitor. I'm like, I'm a lawyer, bro.
1: Yeah. Right. Interesting.
0: Um, (laughs) So I did that. And then I moved back to Florida. Um, I just, I wasn't, I wasn't going to stay in London long-term. And so I just was like, I need to go back now. So I Mm. went back to Florida in, the end of 2007. So I was in England about, about 18 months, Mm -hmm. 18 or 19 months. Um, and I moved back to Florida. I got a job at legal services of greater Miami, which is a, uh, legal aid. It's Mm -hmm. legal aid. Um, so I worked there for a year. Um, it it wasn't, it wasn't for me. Um, it was a little, I had very intense oversight. Um, and not a lot of flexibility with the sorts of things I could do, like in the courtroom and and what I was available to me. It mm. would have been a long time before I got to do the fun stuff, in other words. Right. Um, so I went to get an LLM. I got an LLM in international or intercultural human rights law. That was a great experience, actually. That mm. law school, I can say, was a great experience. Mm. Um, I did that at St. Thomas in Miami. Uh, uh, then I worked as a litigator, um, criminal defense and, um, civil litigation for a long time. And then I think in about 2016, I sort of got antsy, I guess. Mm
2: -hmm. And I was
0: like, I don't care for Florida so much. Um, which I know blows most people's minds. Mm -hmm. Um, but I didn't want to stay in Florida. It was never my plan to, to live there permanently. And I started looking around and I just, honestly, I just picked Canada. And I started the immigration process, and it didn't take me very long. I was very fortunate, and um, I moved here in 2018.
1: Wow, so not that long ago then. No, uh, I'm pretty new. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So what? Like, I mean, you when you? I'm always curious about this, and I I think it kind of gets lost in the whole idea of moving country is one thing like you you've did it a little bit before with London, you know, you knew that you weren't going to stay there long-term so you went back to your home state. Um, and then you kind of decide to make another move. And I assume some research goes into where you're going oh, to yeah. go um, uh, to say the least, but with Canada, I'm always curious when people choose Canada as a destination, Um, how do you choose where in Canada you're going to go? Like you, you went to law school in California. You're familiar a little bit with the West coast. Right. Um, is Vancouver an option for you or do you look at the legal heart of the country being Toronto? And that does that draw you like, how do you, how do you decide where geographically in Canada you're gonna, you're gonna live?
0: The absolute only reason that I picked uh, the Toronto area, honestly, is because my family and I are not that far apart. We're only a thousand miles apart.
1: Right. Right.
0: So even though that sounds really far, I can drive that in two days.
1: Yeah. hmm.
0: And so and so my family can come here easily. It's a like a three hundred dollar flight round trip. Yeah. That's why I did it. You know, and I used to I used to live obviously on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. So I know what it's like. Like I've done the drive from Florida to Los Angeles a couple of times. hmm. It's intense. And, you know, even just the flight, like a three hour flight, like that's no big deal. But right. a five and a half hour flight, that's a bigger deal, you know, especially for my parents who aren't super, they aren't super young, I mm. won't say that they are elderly, because mm-hmm. they'll listen to this and come beat me. But, <laughs> you know, it's just that, honestly, right. that's the only reason.
1: Right. Well, and that, that makes sense. I mean, you always want to Proximity
0: have... to America.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And so... Um, coming to Canada and choosing Toronto and and you move here um, does does much of your research include how you can pick up your practice how you can practice law here and when does that research start like does it start I I assume for you it probably started before you got here but did you start looking into the NCA process um, and and applying for things when you knew toronto or canada was the destination or did you do it after you got to canada
0: so i actually because proximity i wasn't that far right Mm -hmm, from mm -hmm. toronto um i actually did everything i was licensed before i moved here
1: wow yeah so
0: what i what i ended up doing was once i realized like i'm gonna do this canada thing like Mm -hmm. let's just do it so so the real reason that i people are often i just want to say this like that as like an immigrant like i look at the immigrant experience really differently Mm -hmm. um now that Mm -hmm. i have lived it um and i know that sounds sort of you know ridiculous but i just i see things in such a like i was very naive Mm -hmm. i'll be honest with you like i was very naive and so I thought it was going to be fairly straightforward. Um, You know, the NCA process, it is not easy, Mm -hmm. but it is, you know, logical, right? So you've got steps that you can follow. It does make sense. It was pretty easy for me because I came from the States. So everything was already in English. I was educated in English. Like a lot of the barriers that other people face, I didn't have. Yeah. Um, So my NCA process was easy and straightforward. And I honestly thought, (laughs) this gets into a topic I know we're gonna discuss later, but I honestly thought that like, wow, this is amazing that, you know, the Canadian law societies have a process where I can translate my JD. I don't need to go to school again. Mm -hmm. You know, this must be like the place where I can move. And it will be, I don't want to say not that difficult, but I will be able to get this done in a reasonable manner without without a huge setback to my career. Because Mm -hmm. when I left Florida, uh, a lot of people want to know why I would move here if I was successful in Florida. And I think this is one of the terrible misconceptions that internationally trained lawyers face, Mm -hmm. is that like only people who are doing bad in their career or are from a country where, you know, they're not going to be able to have like a a good standard of living or something, only those people would move to Canada. And that that's just not true. Like right. I was extremely successful in Florida. I was working in an office with a um like a waterfront view.
2: Mm-hmm. I
0: had an office that's bigger That's probably as big as my living room and kitchen put together right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had a giant office in a very nice national firm in America. And what happened was I had been thinking about leaving Mm -hmm. and the firm actually closed their Florida office. And I was the most senior lawyer there. They laid off the entire office and they gave me a, like a settlement Mm -hmm. because they were a wonderful firm and they gave me a settlement. I used that money to move here. And to pay for the NCAs, right. so it's not that it's not that, like only losers move to Canada and try to start over, which mm. honestly, that is what people think mm. and And just because people are from you know countries where Canadians and you know people assume that the lo- the standard of living is low and they must have been living, you know in terrible conditions, like that is just so <laughs>
2: <Right>. offensive, yeah. <laughs> Right. But,
0: anyways, I just wanted to like get that out of the way that that many, many very successful people move to Canada, mm-hmm. and we choose Canada because Canada is a great place to live, not because we're losers
1: <laughs> right. well, yeah, <laughs> i'm I'm right behind that. and and this podcast has taught me as such, to be honest, like mm. a lot of people from I've spoken to people from all over the world, quite literally. And um, you know, everybody's motivations are different um but right. they do kind of come to the conclusion that you know canada is a great place to live and that's why it's a destination but there are so many different reasons and histories behind people and why they choose to come and you're right it's not just because um they're trying to get themselves out of quote unquote squalor or they <laughs> right. you know they, exactly. they've, they've totally failed at something and now they need to start over in this this opportunity is a plan B it's not the case. Right. Right? And it's, you know, it, well it's, said. yeah. And it's helpful for me, um, speaking to, to all these internationally trained professionals who, you know, some pursue law when they come here, some start families, some follow their love, their loved ones. Right. Here uh, after law school, and there's all kinds of reasons. So, yeah, I think that's, it's well put by you, um, to say that. Um, and I think it's, it, I hope for listeners who are considering the move um, even though that may be a perception of some um, you know the the international community is growing here as as internationally trained lawyers and i think everybody kind of understands um that 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 that's not the case that people aren't necessarily doing that um so alicia when you when you come here licensed essentially and the proximity is is helpful to you in order to complete your NCA exams and, and your Ontario bar exam process. Um, Being a successful lawyer in Florida, how does that translate into finding employment in Toronto?
0: Ha ha. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Uh, I was not able to find employment. I actually started looking for jobs in 2017 when I became licensed. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started and I was just very naive. I know I've said that, but I was very naive because in the States I am in Florida. I am a very experienced lawyer. I was managing other lawyers for a long time. Um, you know, I was, I have tried murder cases um i have tried cases worth millions of dollars i've been in state court federal court um i've got a lot i'm licensed in all the federal courts in florida i'm an appellate lawyer like i have a lot of experience Mm -hmm. so i honestly did like roll up here and i was like all right canada i'm here Mm -hmm. where's my work Mm -hmm. and uh canada was not impressed Mm -hmm. the canadian legal profession was not impressed with me um i started applying in 2017 and it became pretty clear, um, because I had, I had been recruited uh, in the States by recruiters and I had also been recruited like out of the courtroom by partners of firms. So I just expected it to be somewhat similar, not exactly the same, but I have a lot of experience. So I thought it would be um, maybe a few months to get a job.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but when I first started talking to recruiters, who in the States are like all over me, um, yeah, it was not the same here. Mm. Uh, they pretty much wouldn't even consider me for new hire jobs, meaning people with no experience. Um, I I didn't have to article.
2: Right. So
0: in Ontario, you can get an exemption if you've had a lot of experience. The Law Society doesn't require you to article. And Mm -hmm. I I didn't need to article. And I I wasn't about to article. I I had been working as a lawyer for more than a decade making a lawyer's salary. I'm not going to article. So I got the exemption. And so at first that was sort of used against me. Well, you did an article and you don't know how things are done here. And I did not find that very impressive. Mm. Um, And then I just got here and I started applying. I started applying. And I was not able to find any work. I had no interviews. Hmm. I had not a single interview until 2020.
1: Wow. Jeez. So what do you do in the interim? Like, like, do you find, do you have to find yourself in working in other industries? Or do you just keep your nose down and, and keep going, keep trying to get that job?
0: Well, I was lucky. Um, Mm. I'll be honest with you. I was lucky because I did have so much experience in the States and a like a long career. Mm -hmm. I have good connections, Mm -hmm. um, because I was a litigator. So I was in court all the time and know a lot of people. And, um, I essentially got a job as a contract lawyer. Right. So I worked in the States. I lived here in Ontario and I worked in the States. Mm. So I started a company here, uh, like my own law firm here. And I was a self-employed person, essentially, and I worked in the state. So I wrote appeals um, in state and federal court. And uh, the lawyers, it was like ghostwriting, essentially.
1: Right, right. Interesting. Wow.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I supported myself and I had a lawyer salary for um, 2018, 2019, and almost all of
1: 2020. Wow. That way. Huh, interesting. So, when I don't know, like that sounds actually like a, a pretty innovative way of keeping yourself afloat and and like I speak to a lot of internationally trained lawyers and and some of the common themes are that you you should not only start to build your network but to utilize your network that you've got already. Um and yep. you you never really know how and when that network may come into play, but it sounds like that was something really instrumental for you. Like, cause otherwise, if you, if you find yourself not getting a job. I would have had to
0: return to America. Exactly,
1: and then we're not talking right now. So um, that sounds really good. And so what continued to inspire you to want to pursue sort of, let's call it traditional um, work in, in Canada? Was it, I'm living in Canada, I want to practice Canadian law or something more more simplistic than that, what what was it that that sort of wanted had you wanting to continue to pursue that?
0: I think it was a bit of a mix. Um, mm. so when the pandemic hit um, for a couple of months, sort of in the beginning, so I would say May and June, my income became really unstable in a way that it had mm. never become unstable before because I was a contract lawyer, right? right. So if people aren't assigning me work, I don't work. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that ended up being a very stressful time even though it was temporary because by the time July came around people had sort of realized like we're in this for the log haul and started you know courts reopened to some degree um, in the states and Mm -hmm. things started to get busy again Mm -hmm. and I was fine Um, but that sort of made me realize like hmm you know, maybe this isn't my long-term solution here. And also just like financial stuff. Like I would like to have benefit.
1: Yeah. And yeah. I
0: would like to have mm. like a retirement plan, you know, sure, um, going forward. So I, I think that that was primarily it. And also I spent so much money getting licensed. Like that is one thing for, you know, I don't think people who are, have not gone through the NCA process don't really understand. Like it is not cheap.
1: Yeah. It adds up i
0: know and so all of like that process was just like why did i do this if i'm not going to use this degree and then Mm -hmm. honestly i got a little irritated that my canadian colleagues were trying to exclude me from their cool fancy club of Mm -hmm. lawyers here and i was like "Mm, i think i'm going to start working on this like really 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 hardcore because I i had always been applying for jobs so I want, I want to be clear that I, from 2017 to 2020, I was always applying for jobs, mm-hmm. but I wasn't like aggressively, aggressively looking. Mm. Um, and I started aggressively looking in May of 2020, which, you know, best time ever to look for a new
1: job. <laughs> right?
0: And, uh, and then I just, I had an interview with a recruiter um, for a one year, one to two year civil litigator. Okay. Mm -hmm. I've got like seven years of civil litigation experience in the state. And, um, she wouldn't even suggest me to the client. She told me that I had no Canadian experience. So Mm. she would not suggest me to the client. And honestly, I was so tired and stressed. This was probably July mm-hmm. um, of 2020. I was so tired and so stressed and, you know, the pandemic and I was just, I was done. So I very professionally told her off.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I told her that she was discriminating against me, that this was a devaluation of my education and that I had almost as much experience as the lawyer i'd be working with Mm. um etc etc and it wasn't like the job was not at a fancy like for it was a solo who just wanted a junior
1: Mm. you know yeah Yeah. so So, what do you so that's sort of what happened what do you think that is like what i mean i in some ways logically it, it could follow that if you don't know how processes work here then it's gonna take somebody some time to train you up. But again, um, you'd think somebody with so many years of experience with a law degree, with a master's in law, which quite a few people who are internationally trained do have, right? can pick up on these things and nuances quite quickly. Like I, I don't know that that's a legitimate reason. And you always hear firms, and in particular, like I've spoken to some national Canadian recruiters who suggest that they just have so many applications. If there's any, any, they kind of find ways to eliminate people, not to recruit people. It's sort of like a process of elimination until we find our. 20 or whatever that they recruit for articling. Um, but what is it? Like when somebody says you don't have Canadian experience, what's so special about Canadian experience for, for a one to two year exactly. um, post-call lawyer? What, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if-
0: like, please explain to me how a one to two year call, no offense to one to two year calls who are listening, hmm. but please explain to me how a one to two year call could possibly understand the court system better than me. Hmm. It, I mean, it's this, I came from a system which is contrary to what most Canadian lawyers would tell me who are also not licensed in America, so have no clue. Mm. Um, it is the same.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. I
0: hate to rain on everyone's parade, but Canada, you're not that special.
1: Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> and like, I mean... I guess what I'd love to do now is kind of segue this into, um, you know, something that you've taken up and, and you're you're actually creating quite a bit of buzz about Alicia, <laughs> um, and I'm interested to hear about some of how your you know your legal colleagues have taken it. Um, You had mentioned something, and I I always look for little tidbits that um, internationally trained lawyers or new calls can pick up on. And you had said that you were looking for jobs and you were applying, but you weren't necessarily um, going full throttle. Like intensively applying, so maybe explain to listeners what that difference is, and and how that you know intensive look for looking for work may benefit, and what they what individuals might be able to do differently if they're finding that they keep striking out.
0: Okay, so yeah, I can definitely explain that. So when I was sort of dabbling in job applications because my work was secure and I was doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, I was primarily applying to, like, jobs that I really wanted. Like, I looked at them, and I thought, wow, this would be amazing, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I would love to work here. Um, So, I was really only applying for those, and those were, like, a wide variety of jobs. They were not necessarily all, like, law firm jobs, a couple of them were law firm jobs, but it was like a lot of like really cool like government policy work that they wanted like legal background. It was, um, what else did I apply for? Um, Some stuff within academia. Oh, Mm -hmm. I wanted to say also, I actually did get a job. um, I was an adjunct professor at an Ontario university um, teaching contract law last year. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. But um, anyway, so I was sort of like really only applying to jobs that that looked kind of like a dream job to me um, for whatever reason. Um, And then once I sort of realized that the contract work is unstable, which is pretty obvious, honestly. But um, then I started really just applying for jobs, like anything that was stable, that would pay me, that was reputable. Mm-hmm. Um and that my credentials fit even reasonably, so that was what I would call like intensive job hunting, where you are very focused. You apply for a a large amount and a wide variety of employment, and that's what I did starting July.
1: Mm-hmm. And so another curiosity I have is for many internationally trained lawyers, you know, I've spoken to people who have had their own firms, they've had decades of experience. Right? Do you try to stick to? um the practice area that you that you were in in your home jurisdiction or are you open now when you're aggressively looking for work to you know maybe some mundane real estate work or or something like that or is it you know you, you can't help but just stick with your wheelhouse because you know ultimately that's your usp
0: i i think that, that the latter is probably true because honestly i i've i've had so many changes Mm-hmm. In my life over the past like several years, that my comfort zone is really what I know since everything else in my life essentially has changed, right? Like I immigrated here, et cetera, et cetera. So I would say, like, I was applying and I was looking for civil litigation. I was actually even looking, I was a criminal defense lawyer for five years. Um, you know, representing clients who were charged with um, life crimes. So in the States, you can go to prison for life for a lot of things.
2: Mm. Um,
0: you know, so I was even looking into criminal defense. I would have been very comfortable in the criminal defense courtroom. Um, So I was looking for the, and some stuff in academia, because I had been an adjunct professor previously in the States. So I was looking for, you know, th- just pretty much anything that related to stuff I had already done, just because that's what I was comfortable with, not because that's what I thought I needed to do
1: Mm. yep and that makes sense and i think you you touched on something there like moving to a different country um maybe for individuals who have small families everything is different you know finding schools for young children and finding you know a spouse finding work and so maybe sticking to your wheelhouse or your sort of expertise area um is at least something that you can control um, and something that you can sell to potential recruiters um, when the time comes, so precisely yeah. and and now, um you know, i I, I take it. Um, Alicia, you found somewhere to work um, <laughs> and you're you're very happy there now. is that right?
0: That's true. but you want to know how I got here?, yeah. how I got like a job.
1: yep, I do.
0: It was after that interview where I schooled the recruiter on her discriminatory hiring practices, um, you know, I got mad. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I was, I was emotionally exhausted. I was tired of wasting all this time applying for jobs when no one would even consider me. And I got on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. and I started to complain. Mm right in a very intellectual and professional manner but i was not pleased and so i essentially just started pointing out um i wrote about what that um person had told me because the thing is is that listen i don't i'm not i never applied for a job that i didn't think i was qualified for that Mm -hmm. i couldn't easily do i would never do that i value my time more um than to spend 30 minutes or an hour applying for a job. I know I don't qualify for, I don't know who really actually has time to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, she wouldn't, she was not even remotely concerned with what I had done in the past. It wasn't an actual interview. Like she just had a call with me to tell me how my experience was, you know, useless.
2: Right.
0: And I didn't appreciate that mm-hmm. at all. Um, so I got mad and I wrote about, it. I didn't name her. Um, I wasn't that mad, but, um, Mm -hmm. I did explain what happened and I just started to post about it and I started to look into things and I, you know, before I felt really isolated and that is a, like now, you know, I, you know, I talk to a lot of people, Mm -hmm. um, ITLs as well. And, um, just like on a confidential basis, um, And people feel isolated, people feel alone. Like when you are interviewed and people tell you that your experience doesn't help or that it's useless, like that's personal, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't see it as part of an overarching system of discrimination, which I'm sorry, but it is, um, you take that as personal. You say that, like, I am personally inadequate, Mm -hmm. you know, I came from X country and it's not the same as Canada. And my legal, you know, my law school wasn't good enough. And it was an X country. And, you know, my, I may speak English with an accent, like you are just absolutely meant to feel like you personally are inadequate. Mm. And I realized, like, when I started to post things, people started to reach out to me and be like, Oh, my God, I felt so alone. And I didn't realize that this was happening to other people. So there's just like, When I realized that like, there were literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lawyers in Canada who thought that they personally were inadequate and unemployable, Mm. I was just mortified. And then I got louder. And so essentially what happened is I started networking with people um, and I started posting more on LinkedIn and someone. I'm not going to name because I don't want them to be inundated with people asking them for help. Someone mm-hmm. saw my post and was like, someone who is a Canadian lawyer who was educated in Canada, mm-hmm. um, saw my post and said, Wow, like this is a problem and this is wrong. Um, and she reached out to me privately and she said, I have um someone that I know who is also an internationally trained lawyer. And he works in, you know, civil litigation. He knows a lot of people. I'm going to connect you with him and see if he can help you. And so this lawyer um is um more senior to me. He was like, you know, like a partner um in a in a firm and and has businesses and stuff and so he's a um he's been a lawyer quite a bit longer than me
2: Mm -hmm. and
0: he went to law school in America as well. So he knows what my law school was like, et cetera. And he's talked to me on the phone. He called me. He's like, let's do a call. Calls me on the phone, talks to me for 10 minutes. He's like, actually, uh, I think you'd be a good fit, um, at a law firm. I know this partner, Andrew, um, at this law firm, let me see if he's looking for anybody. And if he is, I'll have him call you. And Andrew, the partner at the law firm I work at now, um, Called me and we talked for like 15 minutes and he was like, You'd be a great fit. Hmm. And see, this and, and Andrew is also an internationally trained lawyer. He's a very successful real estate lawyer in Ontario, very successful. Um, and he's a part of all the, a lot of the law society, um, real property section stuff. And anyway, my point is, is that unfortunately it was internationally trained lawyers who helped me.
1: Right. Mm. And it's sort of um it's a bit of a common thread, isn't it? That, you know, it, what's great is that the internationally trained community is really coming together. Like they, I don't know if it's, it was the pandemic and people were all online, but the social media presence, you know, people feel a little bit more emboldened, Um, probably thanks yep. to you, Alicia, in some ways <laughs> to, to share their experiences and, and to, to sort of call out what they, you know, what's perceived as as bad practice or poor recruiting practice. Um, and But he, he, did, he said something interesting there that unfortunately all the help you got was from internationally trained lawyers. And I suppose as an internationally trained professional, it would be nice if <laughs> domestically trained professionals or people who represent those domestically trained professionals would, would also lend a hand and understand and see um, your unique, selling points your the you know the the things that make you a unique professional and bring you into the fold so you know it's one of those things so like it's a really cool story on how you got there and i'm sure in some ways looking back it's kind of one of those things like well you could never predict that you know some some of your, your social media posts that were pointed and needed, obviously people reached out to you and thought that, you know, you spoke for them too, which was probably pretty cool for you. Um, and it, it was, you know, reassuring also to you that you, like you said, you're not isolated, you're not alone and nor are they. Um, but what happened since Alicia, um, I, you know, full disclosures to the listeners. I got to know about you through some of these posts. Um, and, Um, Like, I guess, I suppose, if you could, you've mentioned the word discriminatory a few times, and um, I think it still exists in the profession. And and how have you found um, discrimination in in recruiting processes?
0: So, I think since, since I've been, since I got my job, I got my job in December of 2020. And so since I got my job, you know, I am very supported at my firm. I feel very lucky to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, and so once I didn't, so I, I don't know, I I don't know how to say this because honestly, some of my posts on social media really get some people upset. Mm. And, uh, I am, uh, I'm a little scandalous, I would say, for some people in the legal profession here in Canada, I don't always get positive feedback. For example, Mm. like about mm, within a month of me being hired at my new job, uh, a lawyer who saw my posts on LinkedIn actually reached out to one of my new colleagues at my new law firm and was like, what kind of crazy lawyer did you hire have you seen her linkedin posts Mm. what's wrong with her etc and you know this is like a male lawyer to another male lawyer so in addition to calling a female colleague crazy which is just so stereotypically sexist Mm. um you know that jeopardized my job theoretically at least i mean my firm couldn't care less and and the lawyer immediately called me on the phone and said listen to what this guy said about you mm. um which i appreciated honestly but the, there's a lot of blowback in speaking out which i think is why i sort of am one of the mm, more singular voices right now mm-hmm. because there's a lot of people who are not in a position to say anything. Right. And so I've sort of taken my own relative security and the support that I have right now in my career to get louder. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not that I have less to lose, but I have, um, I have some security that I didn't have for many years and that many, many, many people do not have. Um, and I feel that to squander that um, by not getting kind of louder, and many have called me quite aggressive. I've even had somebody tell me that I'm trying to burn down the legal profession. I mean, people <laughs> get re- really upset. Yeah. Wow. People are really upset about this. Hmm. Um, and I don't I don't even have a lot of support from within the internationally trained community. Um, some of the organizations find me to be scandalous because I do name and shame on some employment ads um which really rubs people the wrong way um and I mean I respect that but you know telling me uh sending me messages and telling me you know not nice things about myself and my approach is not going to make me stop so (laughs)
1: Mm, interesting and some of what I you know on the periphery, I see a lot of you know pretty reputable organizations and or firms um, marketing jobs or you know posting job ads that that quite specifically say um, canadian educated people only basically, and that's kind of been something that i I, I kind of thought existed um, behind closed doors. I didn't realize how many um firms and or you know organizations posted or made that a requirement. Have you found, you know, and I've I've seen them when you share them, um, have you found that do you, like do you reach out to these organizations and let them know um that you think it's it's discriminatory or and and if so, what has been their reaction?
0: Well, mm. um I do okay, so for people who don't know, I do collect Um, employment advertisements that are essentially exclusionary towards any kind of internationally trained lawyer. Mm -hmm. And so those would be ones that require Canadian experience. And, you know, on the subject of Canadian experience, the Ontario um, Commission on Human Rights has already said that canadian experience the requirement is prima facie discrimination mm. there's a policy on it it's on their website um so there's that mm-hmm. um what i do when they list when when somebody sends me an ad and if it's not for a private firm, I would say like um, if it's for a small firm, a solo, something like that. I, I will not name and shame the solo practitioners, right. um, except for one who, who said that you had to be a native speaker in English. I thought that was terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I don't name and shame any any mom and pop shops. Nobody, you know, nobody small. Mm-hmm. Um, But when they do have Canadian experience, which is pretty common, uh, I will usually, if I have time, I will send them an email. Um, I have like kind of a standard email. How, what a shame is that, that it (laughs) happens so many times that I have like literally a standard email.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, I'll send, I'll send the, um, whoever's at the top. I don't send the, I don't respond to the ad. I look up the organization and I find out whoever's the main partner or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and I send them an email and I send them a link to the policy uh, about Canadian experience. Um, cause I usually only, res- I only reach out to people in Ontario cause that's where mm-hmm. I am, that's where I'm licensed.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, so I do that, I collect all these other ads. So if it's got Canadian experience, if it's got um, that you have to have a Canadian law degree or um, you know, have gone to law school in Ontario or something like that, I collect all those ads um, regardless of what organization it is. I usually don't email everybody. Um, but I have got anybody who wants to look up my old posts, um, on LinkedIn, I've got a lot. I mean, there's crown corporations Mm -hmm. who are posting that like
2: Mm -hmm. crown
0: that really upsets me at like a molecular level.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Do you think it, do you think it speaks to, um, Like, I wonder how much of that is people not really knowing that it's discriminatory, like there's this blind spot that people have.
0: Um,
1: Or is it quite, quite literally just, you know, exclusionary to internationally trained professionals?
0: So. My take on it, this is just my personal take. Um my personal take is that no one wants to be like a bad discriminatory person. Like mm-hmm. no one sits out and is like no immigrants. I mean some people do, but that's not usual. I don't yeah. I don't think that's what we're dealing with. Um I think that there is a terrible misconception in the Canadian legal community that c- the Canadian legal education is superior mm-hmm. which i mean i apparently this is scandalous but it's like not mm-hmm, mm-hmm. superior um and that canada is so unique in its legal systems that anyone who comes here is just going to have a really difficult time adapting and that is just so patriarchal and like awful um first of all canada's obviously Historically, not different um, significantly with the legal systems of either the states, uh, the UK, uh, probably, I don't know enough, but I would assume Australia, any of the other, you know, commonwealths, former Mm -hmm. commonwealths or colonies, like the legal systems are exceptionally similar. Mm -hmm. And I just think that people want people to, they want people, they want to hire people who are like them, Mm -hmm. right? So if they don't understand where you come from and they feel like they don't have time or they're just not interested for whatever reason in learning about anything else outside their own little box, you know, you're not going to get a break. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And
0: that's why I think, you know, I was lucky that I came across, you know, the radar of two U.S. educated lawyers um, who are Canadians and who are, you know, pretty far along in their career. And I ended up getting hired because like, I didn't have to explain any of my background. Right. They just knew what it was like. They knew what law school was like. They knew what court in the States was like They now, Neither of them have ever practiced in the States, but they still had enough of a, um, a background to, to feel like they could relate to me. And I think that that is a, that is a problem that we allow the The legal profession allows its members to not not be open-minded. I, mm. I just I just really think that the the mindset is closed here. I feel um I feel like people are excluded from practicing here or excluded from employment here, not because Canadian lawyers um who are already like members of the profession not because they want to be mean or because they really hate immigrants or they just you know don't want whatever people from this country working there i don't think that that's it Mm -hmm. um i don't and i don't think that it matters what the purpose like what somebody's internal purpose of discrimination is i don't Mm -hmm. think that matters um you know the fact is is that the profession is exclusionary Um, I don't see a lot of people doing anything about this at all. And I'm sorry, this is not going to, this is going to, you know, ruffle some feathers. I don't see the law societies doing much Mm -hmm. about this particular issue at all. Um, And so people are allowed to be like, do you fit in my box? No, you cannot have job. Mm. And I just, I think that's wrong.
1: Right. And (laughs) well, no, yeah. I mean, I find myself nodding my head to what you're saying, I mean, like, it, it, it stands to reason that it's not right, absolutely not. <laughs> and, and so, like, um, just just sort of wrapping up here, Alicia, um, I suppose you kind of touched on the landscape as it stands now as is, is being in, in, an insular pro- profession that can be quite limiting to newcomers um, who have a lot to offer. Um, do you yes. see that landscape? changing, and, and you kind of hinted that actually, um, really, if there is some cursory change, it's not nearly enough. Um, I know that, you know, I don't know, because I'm, I'm, you know, only in my early 30s. But um, traditionally speaking, from what I've heard, the legal community can be a little bit slow moving in, in Canada, to say the least, and adapting to, you know, uh, a different looking Legal world in Canada now with more internationally trained lawyers coming in every year. Um, do you anticipate the the legal community changing in any way, or or if if I gave you, um, you know, a, a magic, you know, a one wish that you could wish upon the the law societies or the federation, um, what do you think would help expedite that change um, for the better?
0: The first thing I want to say is that I think that the primary practical thing that we can all do Mm -hmm. um, is calling out this discriminatory behavior. And it doesn't necessarily mean calling it out in the way that I do on LinkedIn by, like, posting the ads. But, like, if if somebody is, you know, if you're in an interview, and this is to the ITLs, Mm -hmm. if you're in an interview and somebody tells you, You know, well, your experience, you know, that's in X country. And, um, you know, I I do understand that you've worked for this big corporation before, but you know, Canadian corporations are different. Mm. I want everyone to say to them that it's not correct. Mm -hmm. You know, once somebody starts demeaning your experience in an interview, you're not getting that job anyway. Right. So at that point, I feel like instead of internalizing that and just being like, wow, you know, I don't belong here, which is as humans, what most people do, I challenge everyone to stand up for themselves, be professional, but to tell them, I'm sorry, but that's actually not correct. That is not a correct characterization of my experience. This is what I have done. Mm-hmm. This is a multinational corporation that I worked for. This is the similarities, whatever the the particular case may be. But I, I really think that we are all responsible for educating people who discriminate against us, which I absolutely hate to say because I don't think that that's our, our job. Mm. We shouldn't have to do that. But unfortunately, I, I think that we have to. We have to step in and stand up for ourselves. Um, and I want people to have the courage to do that. And I want people to not internalize other people's judgment other people's judgments about their education and experience and as far as like the if i could have one wish of things of something that that would be done on a like institutional level mm. that would be um i think that the law society should step in and provide a complaints mechanism because I, I worked in complaints before, so mm-hmm. I, I kind of have an idea of how it would work, but they should provide a complaints mechanism for lawyers who feel um, that they've been discriminated against in an interview on this basis, or that they can submit a discriminatory job ad for. And it doesn't have to be the, and I know that the laws people don't wanna be regulated by the law society. Everybody already thinks there's too much overreach, et cetera, et cetera. I, I know all those arguments, but you know to have, the law society, you know, get a job ad that says Canadian legal experience and reach out to the firm and be like, we wanted to let you know that this job ad is not allowed, just like they do with advertising, right? Mm -hmm. I I really think that that is the only way that there's going to be any um, quick change. The long-term change is just going to be like, sorry, but internationally trained lawyers are just going to push out (laughs) um, numerically, Mm -hmm. um, domestically trained lawyers, and then hopefully we'll all look out for each other um, and not discriminate against new immigrants. But that's pretty much what I I really think that the law societies need to step in at this point. I don't don't see um, sentiments changing anytime soon. Mm. I think this is a a long-term struggle.
1: Right. Well, and and you're at the fore of it, Alicia, so that's, um, (laughs) that's
0: a dangerous place to be.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's something that, you know, it's, um, luckily for you, as you said, you're in a position now where you have some, some legitimate security where you can feel comfortable in, in quote unquote, fighting the good fight. But, you know, unfortunately, um, hopefully you don't have to continue doing that you know hopefully that there's there's something that comes into place or, or we start to see a, a movement toward the center where there's less discrimination towards internationally trained um lawyers and and actually you know i've spoken to some people across multi, many different professions um that discrimination kind of exists you know in engineering wow. for instance um wow the engineering community in canada is very tight-knit um very very close and you know it's really it's really hard to get into canadian law school and it's really hard to get into canadian engineering and i think there's this sort of perception that because it's so difficult and so rigorous it can't possibly so be so difficult and rigorous somewhere else (laughs) um which meaning anyway i mean we could go on and on alicia Um, it's not
0: logical that's not logical
1: (laughs) exactly um but anyway, I, I've learned a lot in this podcast, Alicia, um, you know, uh, from a horse farm, uh, to here <laughs> you've, you've come, you know, obviously a long way, a lot of really inter- interesting international experiences, and I'm really happy to hear that you found your footing in Toronto and, and finally the city's embraced you, um, professionally and personally. So I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping and wishing for the best for you in the future. and. Um, you know, all the success.
0: Thank you. I just wanted to mention, if you don't mind, I do. Sure, of course. Um, I don't, just so we're clear, I um, I do all of this like pro bono. I have no organization or coaching or anything like that. But mm-hmm. I wanted to offer um, or to let people know that I do hold monthly, um, I do hold monthly uh, roundtable discussions, which are just moderated by me. I don't speak. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's for internationally trained lawyers to just sort of discuss employment and how they find a job, what help they need um, for us to like guide each other. So I do do those um, about every month. So everybody is welcome if they're from an NCA grad um, or uh, applicant all the way through licensed lawyers. I I have pretty much um, a wide variety of people. So Mm -hmm. everybody's welcome.
1: Amazing. And, and in the advertising of this podcast, Alicia, I'll include your LinkedIn um, bio link so that people can follow you. And, and hopefully, um, if they're not already, then yeah, just sort of connect and and follow along and, and get those updates for when those roundtables happen, because those sound really helpful. Um, I hope they are a really, really good idea for a community of people to share their experiences. And again, you know, all in the in the aim of not having people not internalize rejection which which can be quite taxing on mental health um amongst many other things so yeah getting things out in the open sounds great and it's a good initiative um thank you so much alicia for for your time i really appreciate it over an hour um that's sorry no (laughs) i mean it it was really really interesting i really enjoyed. you can
0: edit out whatever you need to that's fine
1: (laughs) (laughs) no it's going out just like this thanks so much alicia
0: (laughs) all right thank you
1: And that does it for episode 36. Thank you, Alicia, for taking time out of your busy day to speak with me. And uh, I hope, listeners, you, you enjoyed this one. Until next time, we'll talk again.